Welcome back to Founder Breakthroughs. My name is Jeff Durso, Inc. 500 serial entrepreneur and your host. In our first episode, we talked about the power of why and how important it is to getting your startup on the right track. Then in our second episode, we met an inspiring founder, Derek Stratton, who's using the power of why to disrupt the gig economy marketplace. If you haven't heard those episodes, I definitely recommend them for setting context. But today we're gonna talk about a slightly different topic. And in the startup space, it's the elephant in the room. Over the past 25 years, almost every startup founder I've met has spent a good deal of time thinking about this topic. And there are more strong and conflicting opinions on it than almost any other. I'm talking, of course, about fundraising. The big question always being, should I raise or should I not raise? That question dominates a lot of founders' time, and sometimes it can paralyze founders who are caught between trying to raise and trying to build their startup at the same time. But over the years, I've learned a different and more powerful way to frame the topic of fundraising. I think of startups in a hierarchy. At the bottom is unfundable, and this one's pretty self-explanatory, and means that in its current state, an investor shouldn't invest in your startup. The next level is fundable, which is also pretty self-explanatory. At this level, there's a solid argument or business case to be made for why an investor should actually invest in your startup. But there's a level above that, and when you get to that level, everything changes. I call it un-unfundable, and it basically means an investor would have to be an absolute fool to not put money in your startup. On today's episode, we're gonna go deep into what it means to become un-unfundable, how I first discovered this level, and what it means to your startup and plan. Now let's dive in. My first introduction to fundraising happened with my second startup, and like many things in life, I learned about it the hard way. It was two years after I had sold my first company, OEC, and I was riding high, driving around in my dream Acura NSX, and thinking about how I was going to absolutely crush in my next venture, which was going to be building out a marketplace for the growing destination wedding industry. At that time, almost 20% of all weddings were destination weddings, but there still wasn't any major brand provider in the space. The industry was super fragmented. Destination weddings were an afterthought to travel agencies that might fit them in between all of the corporate and other large travel groups they did. They treated brides like little fish, and that's the last group you want to do that to. If you've ever heard the word bridezilla, I'm sure a lot of these were created by poor destination wedding experiences. Quality in the space was abysmal, and the industry was begging for a new solution. We had the answer, and we had the right team to go after it. I had built and sold a $10 million technology company, and my partner had one of the largest travel agencies in the Northeast United States. We literally had everything going for us, but we also had a blind spot. I assumed we needed to spend our time raising money, but I was unfamiliar with how that process really worked. I had heard lots of stories of gritty entrepreneurs who had gotten no after no after no from investors and persevered, but that wasn't really how the experience played out. Instead of getting no's, we were greeted with the red carpet treatment. We had meeting after meeting with curious investors who told us how much they loved the idea, how much they loved the team, and how much they loved the plan. Everything was love, 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 except for the part of love where a check gets written. And since I had prepared myself to persevere over the nose, I didn't realize that in the real investor world, they'll rarely tell you no. Reality is a bit more Machiavellian than that. You see, no investor wants to close the door forever, 
They like to keep their options open. No is a word that shuts a door. So why would they ever tell you that? Instead, they'd rather keep you in the loop, just in case. For our process, that translated to one exciting meeting after another, but no checks. Next thing you know, nine months had passed and we still didn't have a check. Now, to be fair to my younger self, this was 2003 and the world was still working through the post-dot-com recession, so investor money wasn't exactly flowing freely. But in a hot new market, nine months was an eternity to waste. And fortunately, when I woke up to this fact, I called my partner and told him I was done chasing money. Rather than raise money and hire the team to build out the product, I would just roll up my sleeves and do it myself. And that was a powerful decision. Instead of straddling between fundraising and building, we went all in on build. And two months later, we launched DestinationWeddings.com. A month after that, we started getting customers and we were off to the races. What I realize now in hindsight, we had had an unfundable plan. Even with the strong idea and team, in that market, our idea was simply unfundable. Instead of wasting time chasing money, we should have just built it in the first place. And when we finally made that decision, things started happening fast. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that this is the right move in all cases, but in quite a few cases, it makes more sense for founders to spend time working on building out their idea versus chasing money. Sometimes it makes sense to pursue money, sometimes it makes sense to focus on building, but it's hard to do both. Founders need to be super careful about how they plan around this, so you don't waste nine months or more unnecessarily like I did if you can just bootstrap things yourself. Now, before I move on to talk about fundable and what that looks like, a few more insights are in order. As I'm recording this episode in September of 2022, the tech funding markets have gone through a massive shift from free-flowing money and chasing every napkin idea at the beginning of the year to an extreme tightening of capital at the end of it. On the surface, this sounds like a bad omen, but reality tells a different story. When money flows too freely, a lot of really bad ideas get funded. And as a founder competing in that market, you can be distracted by some of these companies with weak ideas but deep bank accounts. In frothy markets, these bad idea companies linger on and create noise longer than they should. In bad markets, the bad ideas go under and new bad ideas don't get funded. The good news for founders with a good idea is these funding downturns are often where the best companies get their start. In my case, and for DestinationWeddings.com, this turned out to be a huge blessing. We weren't able to raise money, but neither did any competitor. We were free to build out our idea and attack the space on the merits, and that gave us the freedom to win without the distraction of tons of other bad idea competitors creating noise for us to respond to. And if history is any guide, this may be the best time to start a company, and some of the best companies are likely to build right now as we speak. Okay, now let's talk about fundable. After we launched DestinationWeddings.com, we quickly started to gain traction and make progress month after month after month. With our focus entirely off of investors and entirely on our market and our customers, we were obsessively testing and optimizing our experience, and we were being rewarded by more and more market share. After about nine months of this progress, it was clear to us that we had leveled up our game and we started having casual conversations with investors again. At this stage, we didn't just have a great idea and a solid team. We now were building a track record of results in our market, and our numbers were all headed in the right direction. We had become fundable. 
As we reviewed our numbers each month, we realized we could put together a solid case for why investors should invest in us, and investors we casually talked with agreed with our assessment that we were fundable. But then something curious happened to us. Because we were making so much progress every single month, we actually felt like we wanted to delay our fundraising process. Even though we were fundable and could make a solid case and raise money, we were making so much progress without money that each month we felt like we'd be selling ourselves short raising money that month since next month we'd achieve some new milestone or be worth even more. In our fundable stage, we actually kept delaying and delaying and pushing off our investors and telling them we weren't ready to take their money. And then finally, we achieved a new level that I can only describe as un-unfundable. At that level, it no longer was just a good business idea for an investor to put money into our company. It felt like they would have to be crazy to pass up the opportunity. And this is not something you can fake, although many founders have tried. We felt that to our core, an investor would have to be crazy to pass up our deal, and this feeling radiated through. At that point, when we met with investors, the tone was different. We didn't just convey excitement in our pitch, we leaned in, and they could feel that we felt un-unfundable. Now we had the idea, the market, the team, the progress, the numbers, and the vision to go to the next level, and our investors could feel it when we pitched. In that mode, the checks flowed freely, and we easily raised rounds of funding in 2004 and 2005 on our way to the Inc. 500 in 2008. Un-unfundable made all the difference. And the best way I can describe the feeling of being un-unfundable is to compare it to the peak experience of flow, where athletes or musicians or any of us from time to time go into the zone when we are performing at our best. In flow, everything feels effortless, and that's what ununfundable feels like as well. But just like you can't force yourself into flow, you also can't just force yourself into the ununfundable zone. You need to do what it takes to drive progress day after day in your startup, set the preconditions for it, and hope that you're able to get into that zone. So to summarize, whether you're bootstrapping your startup or looking to raise outside money to get things moving, fundraising is one of the most important activities in the startup world. There are many arguments for fundraising, and just as many against. Wherever you fall at any time, it's critical that you are deliberate about it. You can focus on fundraising, or you can focus on building, but it's really hard to focus on both at the same time. And more often than not, founders that try to do both end up doing neither of them very well. So instead, try to be aware of where your idea and startup stand on the funding hierarchy, based on progress you've made and the current market condition. When you understand whether you're unfundable, fundable, or ununfundable, it then becomes clear how to allocate your time between building and fundraising and on leveling up over time. Now, we'll be meeting quite a few other founders and get a host of different opinions and approaches to fundraising, but I hope that my story has given you a good starting point for how to frame the topic. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to subscribe to the show and drop a five-star rating and review so we can get this out to as many other founders as possible. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. I look forward to seeing you on the next one as well.